Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the New Mexico News Podcast, where I'm solo hosting today as my co-host Chris McKee is still on a well-deserved vacation after his wedding. Congratulations to him and his wife, Rebecca. We're so excited for them. But I told Chris I'd hold down the fort this week, so let's get to it. It's really hard to believe we're in late June and a prescribed burn turned wildfire that sparked nearly three months ago is still burning in the Santa Fe National Forest. We're, of course, talking about the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire, the largest wildfire in New Mexico's history. The feds say the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire has destroyed 400 homes and threatened 15,000 more. And the fires are still burning with more than 300,000 acres burned. It started as a prescribed burn on April 6th, 2022. And since then, it burned well over 300,000 acres of land, displaced hundreds of families who had to evacuate and burned at least 400 homes. President Joe Biden paid a visit to Santa Fe saying it's the U.S. government's responsibility to help New Mexico recover. We have a responsibility to help the state recover, to help the families who have been uh, here for centuries and the beautiful northern New Mexico villages uh, who can't go home and whose livelihoods have been fundamentally changed. So what does that actually look like? And how did a prescribed burn get out of control in the first place? Why was it allowed to happen? We've gotten a lot of those answers about what went wrong in a recent 85-page review of the prescribed burn-turned-wildfire. It shows while crews on the ground that day did follow procedures and policies, there were a lot of missteps leading up to it. On the line with me today is Congresswoman Teresa Ledger-Fernandez. She represents the 3rd Congressional District here in New Mexico. And you're actually from Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yes, I'm from Las Vegas, New Mexico. So the uh, land that has been scorched, those are the places that hold the memories of when I was a kid. And as I grew up, uh, I have family uh, in the area that have been negatively impacted And so it is, um, I I carry the pain and sorrow with me, not just because it's my job to listen to people's pain and sorrow and try to address it, um, but I I share in that pain and sorrow because I, I know what beauty we have lost. You mentioned you have family members impacted by the wildfire know people who've lost their homes. What have those conversations been like? What have you seen that this fire has done? Well, what I've seen is that, you know, I've, I've been out in, in Mora and Penasco and Las Vegas and Colfax County, actually, when the fires were first starting. And uh, almost every week when I am not in D.C., I've been out in those communities. And, you know, we've seen it all. We've seen the fear and and the worry when you did not know what had happened to your home. And then we've seen the grief uh, of those who lost their home. And as they've tried to figure out what do we do from here? And so I've listened to stories of incredible resilience. Uh, Jerry Gomez, his family met with the president and he lost everything. Like He lost everything. But his 
vision is one of hope. He has moved uh, his son-in-law's trailer back to the burned out uh, land of his. He started cleaning up and he says, I am going to rebuild because I have, uh, I think it's 11 grandchildren that I want to see the beauty of this place. So there's those approaches, but we've also have incredible frustration. And now with this report, I am angry. Uh, And so I share the sorrow, the frustration, and now the anger about learning that this could have been avoided. This report details the many, many mistakes they made. And there is a word hubris, which I don't think I've ever said out loud before, but it's the idea that you know enough. And so you're not going to bother to recheck what you think, you know. So we saw that with this report is they made mistakes at the beginning and then never double checked and said, should we go forward? Maybe not. Let's think about it. So that's what this report details. And I can go into it in a bit more. The main things that uh, I think are very uh, disturbing. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that. I mean, this was an 85 page review, um, you know, of the of the prescribed burn, which we know there are plans. A lot goes into a prescribed burn, right? Because it's the Forest Service deciding to do this, deciding to, you know, if you will, ignite portions of the forest in order to prevent massive destruction like we've seen here. Um, And in this case, this 85 page review shows a very clear timeline of what happened, what led up to what has now become the largest wildfire in New Mexico's history. What's your biggest takeaway after reading that report? That they did a prescribed burn based on an environmental assessment and uh, a review of what was the conditions on the ground from 2006. So one, we have policies and procedures that are 16 years out of date, which does not take into account the drought uh, and and what has happened with climate change. They then uh, had sign off on the prescribed burn in 2019. We know that 2019 was one of our reddest years. We had great snowpack and they started the burn in 2022, which was one of our worst years for snowpack. So they were unwilling to revisit their earlier assumptions. And it's that failure to revisit their assumptions. It's their failure to find out on the ground. What is it like on the ground? Like they did not go and measure their fuels on the ground to determine how dry are they? Will they burn? Um, They also uh, failed to adequately value the communities and the homes and the assets that were going to be put at risk. If they would have valued those assets at high, they would have had to have increased their precautions because the risk had to be, you had to contain the risk more. So from how they even thought of us and our communities, that is where I first get angry is how dare you value us as moderate when these are some of the highest values you could imagine. It's a watershed for multiple communities that you were being put at risk. So they didn't adequately account for the values that were at risk so that they could mitigate it. They didn't have enough personnel. They didn't have enough water. They didn't know what the, uh, the fuel burden was. The report just mistake after mistake after mistake. 
Some of the highlights in that report include that the prescribed burn plan was approved in 2019 and then reapproved each year thereafter without adjustments, like you said, for extended drought conditions or weather conditions on the ground that day. And then you also factor in the government shutdown, which, which some may recall happened in 2018. Then we had the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. The report says the prescribed burn in the area was essentially three years behind schedule and the conditions on the ground had worsened. So in short, why do you think this burn plan wasn't adjusted to meet the conditions of the land and the weather that day? Do you think it's outside pressure to play catch up? Is it staffing issues? I don't want to second guess why they made that mistake. We know it was a mistake. I sit as a congresswoman representing the third congressional district. My job is to bring oversight to the Forest Service and what they do. So my job is to sit as oversight of our federal agencies. So I called for this investigation. I spoke with the chief forester and asked him to uh, put a pause. But I also then called for an independent federal investigation so that we could analyze what went wrong and have an idea of what needed to change so this does not happen again. We need to look at what went wrong and what needs to change in their policy or the procedures or does Congress need to take action so that we do not repeat these mistakes. Right. And one of those mistakes or one of the, you know, challenges pointed out in the review was the crew conducting the burn. They did follow protocol, but in some cases, the radios and the communications they were using weren't always working properly. What needs to happen, you know, to make sure that that's not a problem moving forward? That was just a plain old mistake. They just needed they needed to have enough personnel down because they didn't um, correctly identify the risk involved with this prescribed burn. All the mistakes kind of cascaded from there. So they didn't have enough personnel on the ground. They didn't have the water they needed to um, uh, turn off any fires that might have escaped the perimeter. Um, So once again, it's all at the beginning. Uh, where they made the mistakes and everything flowed from there. You asked the question and pointed out that there was a sense that this has to be done. It didn't have to be done right away, right? It needed to be done because there needed to be work done on the forest. But you have to have the patience to wait until conditions are right. You need to make sure to double check what your calculations were. Are we doing everything right? Have we double checked to make sure that the fuel is not high? Everything. And if you would have recognized how risky this was, you would have double checked it and double checked it and you would have said not now. And you would have had that patience. And you cannot blame the governor, the government shutdown for the mistake that you made in 2022. The government was open in 2022 and you went forward with a burn that should not have have moved forward. Mm -hmm. Staffing is also something we talk about, you know, not having enough personnel on the ground. I know there was several factors that went into that day. And like you said, had they done the calculations that day, things would have likely been different from the outset. But I know, you know, staffing is something everyone, not just in New Mexico, is talking about as a problem across the country. Um, In this case, I I know President Biden also recently signed off on a raise for federal wildland firefighters for the next two years. Um, I read that, you know, that funding will come from the a trillion dollar infrastructure bill. 
But is this substantial? Is there talk from the top about how to recruit and retain more wildland firefighters? Because we know this is an issue. Yes. And I, uh, this bill came out of my committee. I supported uh, this bill. I voted for it because we need to pay those who are working in our forests more. We need to pay them in uh, at the same rates and give them the same health protections as we do, uh, state, uh, firefighters. So I was very much in support of that bill. I helped champion that. Um, and we did put a lot more money in the infrastructure and jobs act to do precisely the work that we need. We also have apprenticeships because you can make good money, but we need to make sure you are paid right for the work you are doing. We are all thankful to the firefighters. I always say the best way to say thank you is actually giving them the resources they need, not just, you know, words, but actual resources, which means better pay, better conditions and the health protections they need. Yeah, we've had conversations with uh, hotshot members on this podcast before where, you know, folks say it's a seasonal job, um, something people don't always do in the long term. Is it sustainable, you think, even, you know, given these raises to retain some of these wildland firefighters beyond, you know, just a, a couple of years? Right now, we know that the fire season is no longer a season. It's a, a full time. It's it's we have the year, right? It's no longer season. Fire season is happening in December, you know, up in Boulder in January in in, in April. Right? We've never seen a fire in April in, in New Mexico. Um, so I think that we need to make sure that we recruit and we pay the uh, our, our firefighters. And if you actually look at it, uh, I went out and spent time with some of the firefighters. I need to say my brothers were wildland firefighters. If you're from the North, you know, everybody who's fought fires, it's just something you do. It's how, it's how you earn money. Um, and, uh, so we do need to make sure that there is a avenue for our firefighters to also move up to uh, become hotshots if they want to, you know, the hotshots are the more, uh, highly trained. They do get paid better. And so some people want to do that. Others want to just, you know, work for a few months, work really hard. You save up some money and then you use it for whatever it is that you need. Right. So I think that we, we, we need to say we thank you for your work and we're going to pay you for your work. So President Biden was here. He said the government has a responsibility to help New Mexico recover. Governor, let me be clear. We will be here for you in response and recovery for as long as it takes. You and Senator Ben Ray Lujan introduced legislation, of course, the Hermit's Peak Fire Assistance Act in May to allow for damages to be paid to New Mexico residents and business owners impacted by the fire. It still needs Congress approval, but how would this work? What's next? So what we want to do is exactly what was done when we had the Cerro Grande fire in Los Alamos. And the same principles applied. The United States started the fire as a man-made disaster. And so the United States needs to take responsibility and pay compensation because otherwise um, you're stuck in long litigation. It's very uncertain whether you can win, win any litigation against the United States like this. So rather than having people do that, let's take that up and let's just say we are going to compensate them for the losses they've had because FEMA is intended to help with a disaster, but it doesn't make you whole. It doesn't give you enough money to rebuild your home. So that's why we needed to have the Hermes Peak Fire Assistance Act. Um, 
both the senator and I are working to see how do we actually get it turned into law. And so I can tell you, I can't guarantee you it's going to become law, but I can guarantee you that I am going to champion it. I am down on the House floor every day, raising it with my colleagues. We've had some movement forward, which I'm uh, appreciative of. Um, so, you know, I, I am going to be fighting for that every day that I'm here in D.C. Uh, and I remain optimistic that we will get something because I think the nation knows um, how horrible this has been. My colleagues read The New York Times. They read The Washington Times. They listen to NPR. And this fire has been covered on the national news which is good when you're trying to get a bill out of Congress. So how confident are you feeling? And, and when might New Mexicans have that answer? We are hopeful that we will get it this congressional cycle. So this year. Um, so I am hopeful that we will have success. Uh, I'm feeling very confident that we will have an answer um, before December. OK. And whether it can be this summer, whether it can be the fall, you know, I'm going to try to have it as early as possible. I know Senator Ben Ray Lujan is also working to get this uh, turned into law as quickly as possible. It's more likely to be in the, the fall, the period of the fall, just because of what the legislative calendar is. OK. And when the general public hears the president say something like that, you know, the government needs to pay for this mistake. How feasible is that? You know, we all know government works in its own kind of timeline. But is your legislation contingent to pass if, you know, in order for the government to yes. repay people? FEMA cannot fully compensate you for your losses. And so my legislation is needed to be able to fully compensate all of the businesses and individuals who lost their homes, who lost their businesses, who lost their forests, which they used for grazing or for those beautiful Christmas trees from Mora that we all buy uh, in December. So my legislation is needed for that. And uh, the great thing is the president, by saying that, he is supportive of the legislation, and that is a great signal to our leaders in the Senate and the House that the president is supportive of this legislation, but we have to do the job here. I am going to be championing it, fighting for it, as I said, every day that I'm here. What can people do to help themselves at this point? I know that, you know, some people didn't have fire insurance. Some people applied to FEMA and maybe have issues. Do you have any other suggestions of what else people should be doing? If you've applied to FEMA and you've been denied, FEMA has promised us that they will do a call back to everybody so they can explain it might have been that you missed a document, that you need something else. So they need to be talking to FEMA. If you, if you have a problem and you think it's not being resolved, you can call my office because that's our job. My job, I call it, we're the WD-40 of federal agencies. So sometimes <laughs> things get stuck. And so we can, we can't make the decision for the agencies, but sometimes we can call and we can find out what's the problem. But they should make sure they have that conversation with FEMA. There are also resources, the states uh, and, and FEMA and all the different agencies are trying to work together to, for example, make sure that we're providing hay to those people who lost their grazing rights. The state is coordinating that. So I know you're confident, obviously, and you said you'll fight hard uh, in Congress for this legislation to pass for the government to make New Mexicans whole. But is there a world in which this legislation doesn't pass? We're in a midterm election. You know, 
we know there has to be some politics at play with how much also the government is spending. Is there a world that New Mexicans won't be made whole after this fire? So this is my priority and I am working on it. And so I am not thinking about that. Uh, uh, I'm not thinking about that because my eye is on the goal and the goal is to get this done. I will say it is a bipartisan effort. Uh, last week, uh, Yvette Harrell agreed to co-sponsor the bill with me. So she is now on the bill. So the whole delegation is supportive of this. I have had excellent conversations with my leadership here in the House about um, the bill. And so my focus is on getting it done. To wrap up, back to prescribed burns real quick, because we know those are so crucial or have been historically in just maintenance of our forest lands. Um, but I know you said, you know, following this report that prescribed burns play an important role in forest management, but this tragedy was avoidable and the Forest Service should indefinitely suspend prescribed burns until it's fixed the glaring issues. What does that mean going forward? Do we need to rethink the way we manage our forests now with climate change and drought conditions the way they are? So what we need to do is incorporate the scientific data that is available so that when we are doing a prescribed burn, we're using that data. They did not do that in this case. There was modeling that they did not use that exists. There are tools to identify what's going to be happening on the ground that we use to fight a fire. They need to start using those tools whenever they do a prescribed burn because that's still a fire. And the idea that they were not using information that's available to them is an example of what needs to change. So they use that in every prescribed burn from now on. So I think that setting a limit of we're going to only pause for 90 days. It needs to be we're going to pause until we can fix all of these problems we've identified. Once we know we've got them fixed, then we can continue to utilize uh, prescribed burns. That's what I think is important. That's why I also wanted and asked for and secured the independent federal investigation, which will come up with recommendations about what should be done. Congresswoman, is there anything that I'm missing that you wanted to add or feel like it's important to talk about? So I think the other thing that's very important to talk about is the flooding that we are we know is going to come, right? It's not a matter of it might. We know that those mountainsides are denuded. The soil cannot absorb the moisture because of the, the, the fires. So we have to do the work to get that done. What, this is another area that I've been working on and advocating that there be 100 uh, percent, that the federal government pay 100 percent of the cost of doing that work on private lands, uh, because we know they're doing the work on public lands, but we cannot leave out our private rancher, ranchers and landowners who also need that protection. So we did secure that. The federal government has agreed to pay 100% of the cost of doing the work to mitigate. We're not gonna avoid it, but to mitigate, to make it less bad, as we say in New Mexico, less bad uh, uh, on the forest lands, right? And so I think that I want to make sure that the acequias, that the ranchers know that there is a way to have the federal government pay for that work that is needed, you know, to build the berms and the catchment areas um, to, so that you can protect both your land 
and then your neighbor's land. Does that look like sandbags? What what does that look like? One, you know, the the initial thing might be sandbags because you can get that done really quickly. But other things are where you actually little you you bring in a bulldozer and you build berms. You direct water in a certain way. As an example, right now they have built a diversion so that the water will not from the Gainas Canyon and the Gainas River will not be flowing into Story Lake because that water has got ash in it. And once you get uh, ash into Story Lake, we will not be able to use that water for drinking water. So there is, those aren't sandbags. That's actually a man-made diversion to sort of skip Story Lake because Story Lake will be where Las Vegas is getting its water uh, for its municipal municipal purposes we need to keep the ash out of that watershed man we just got hit with so many massive wildfires and now everyone's so thankful for the rain but now you've got flooding to worry about yeah we we, there is a high likelihood that we will have a second presidential disaster declaration related to the flooding Uh, but we want to try to mitigate it you know try to um, avoid it when we can and we're likely to be doing this work you know, the monsoon started. We did a little bit of the work before the monsoon start, but we're going to be doing this work for months and, you know, likely years to come as we're trying to revegetate the um, the burnt the, the burn scars. Well, thank you, Congresswoman, for your time. We appreciate all the work that you're doing for our state in Washington. And let us know, should there be any anything down the line we should know about? We'll keep you posted on the news. And thank you for letting uh, all of our listeners and viewers know the latest that's happening. I think what I am also finding is that our Nuevo Mexicanos, we're todos somos familia, right? We all take care of each other. And we have seen um, wonderful you know, expressions of solidarity, of assistance, of people helping each other out. Um, I mean, the stories I've heard from the families who, even though somebody is losing their home, they are still rushing out to help their neighbors, you know, to save what they could. And and it just gets repeated over and over again. I know we are all tired and angry and frustrated, but we are all going to keep working at this together, knowing that it is working together that we'll be able to get to the next step and over the next obstacle and the next obstacle. My job is to carry everybody's pain and sorrow and voices to DC so that we can get things done. I will keep doing that. Um, My tears are mixed with everybody else's tears as well. Thanks again to Congresswoman Teresa Ledger Fernandez for taking the time to talk with us today about the impact the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire continues to have on New Mexico. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, thanks for hanging with me solo today and congratulations to Chris and Rebecca on their recent marriage. We wish them well. Lifetime of happiness. It was a beautiful celebration. Some call it the local news event of the season. Um, We'll have another episode for you next week. In the meantime, you can reach out. I'm at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com via email, gburknm on social media. I know Chris will eventually be checking his emails after his return from vacation. He's at chris.mckee at krqe.com and chrismckeetv on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. (music) 